Spirit, we ask you to move in this place today. Thank you for the way that you have been moving, for the way that you have um, been challenging us, for the way that you've been walking with us since the moment we woke up this morning and before that. Thank you for the way that you are speaking to us through the people around us. Thank you for the way that you are speaking to us through your word, through the truth of your word, through the challenge of it, through the encouragement of it. We pray that you would keep our hearts open, translate the word for us today in a way that we can grasp, in a way that pushes us forward, in a way that slows us down if we need that. Thank you for the way that you have filled the praises of your people just like you promised you would do. Thank you for the way that your presence is so rich and thick with us. We love you. We commit ourselves to you. We're open to you today. Speak to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we are on this series together throughout the, the summer called On the Road. And we are examining the life of Paul. Not because Paul is the person that we follow. All right. We follow Jesus Christ. Our lives are committed to him. We are redeemed by him. He is our savior. He is the one that has transformed us. But we're examining the life of Paul because it gives us an example of what transformation can look like in our everyday real lives. Okay, so that's why we are are looking at the life of Paul. He becomes one of the most influential people in the history of Christianity uh, ends up writing nearly half of the New Testament, forming our understanding of who God is and of what God accomplishes through his son, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. So he is this influential person that we're following. And as we've already talked, um, thank you to Pastor Jordan, Jordan Lohman, who was here a few weeks back and preached on this moment of Saul's uh, conversion on the road to Damascus, Saul who becomes Paul in that point of transformation. And thank you to Gabby who preached last week and did an excellent job and uh, talking about that moment of him uh, going from blindness to sight and moving into that new life that he discovered in Jesus Christ. And so we've got this moment of Paul who began as the chief opponent of Christianity, even overseeing the murder of the first Christian martyr, giving his approval to that, and then going to find more to kill. In the name of God, going to find more to kill. Violence done in the name of God is an absolute tragedy against the heart of God. Violence done in the name of God is an absolute tragedy against the heart of God. Let's never miss that. And on the way, on the road, he is met by Jesus, has this encounter with Jesus. He is radically transformed, filled with the Holy Spirit. And so that's in Acts chapter 9. And then in Acts chapter 13, where we're going to be today, we see this moment where the believers of a church lay their hands on Paul and his sidekick Barnabas, and they are propelled into a missionary role. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, propelled into a missionary role, begin to take the gospel into new places, breaking new ground for the sake of the kingdom. But there's something that we're going to look at today and really lean into, into today. Between this moment of Paul having this encounter with Jesus and being filled with the Holy Spirit and transformed by the grace and power of God, 
and this point when he is sent out as a missionary for the sake of the gospel. There's something that happens in between that we're going to spend our time talking about today and digging into today. This moment that is a crucial moment, and it's not just about a moment, but it's about a person that Jesus uses, that the Holy Spirit uses. A person who stands between these two realities in Paul's life. From this moment of transformation, his encounter with Jesus, and when he is sent out, propelled by the power of the Holy Spirit to be a missionary. A person who serves as this hinge and a bridge that is built by the Holy Spirit to encourage and to equip Paul to flourish in the fullness of his gifts and his calling and his anointing. He's this person that the Lord uses to call gifts out in him, to give him opportunities, to open doors for him, giving him opportunities to walk in those gifts that the Holy Spirit has given him. And this person's name is, anybody know? Barnabas. Yep. This person, (laughs) there you go. This person's name is Barnabas. He's a crucial figure in the history of Christianity. And the reality is that's not the truth. His name is, that's not actually his name, all right? His name isn't Barnabas. His name is Joseph, but Barnabas becomes his nickname. All right, it's this person named Joseph who takes on the nickname of Barnabas. He's given this name by the other disciples. They start to call him Barnabas. And from the, that moment, we're, we're first introduced to him as Joseph, who was called Barnabas. And then for the rest of the story, he's known as Barnabas. And Barnabas is this nickname that means son of encouragement. Son of encouragement. Has anybody ever had a nickname in their lives? Yeah. Did you earn that nickname? Yeah, were you proud of that nickname? (laughs) Sometimes it's like, yeah, I like that nickname. Other times someone gives you a nickname and it's that moment when you're like, oh no, that's going to stick. That's who I am now, okay? Uh, But this is a name that stuck with him and it's a nickname that fits him beautifully. It fits him beautifully. Barnabas means son of encouragement. And the Holy Spirit uses this gift of encouragement in Barnabas' life to impact the rest of the history of the church. Encouragement is this crucial gift in the church that the Holy Spirit uses. Encouragement is a gift of the Holy Spirit, which instills courage in others. That's where we get the word, okay? Courage in to others. It cultivates the flourishing of others, and it holds the door open for others. And it's this gift that the Holy Spirit uses in the church. These people, these Barnabas types of people, are the catalysts of the kingdom. These are the movers and shakers in the economy of God. In our culture of self advancement, self promotion, self preservation, a Barnabas is countercultural because they recognize and invest in the God-given values of others. They often fade into their background. Their influence is often invisible because <clears throat> they are so often pushing others to the forefront. It's easy to overlook a Barnabas because they spend so much of their time pointing our attention somewhere else. These are crucial people in the economy of God. They are the visionary women and men among us who see things in us that we cannot see in ourselves, 
who prophetically call out gifts in us and open doors of opportunity for us to walk in the power of those gifts. These are people who don't speak with flattery or in false and shallow forms of positive psychology, but instead they speak with a Holy Spirit accent of empowerment. And there's something when they speak into your life, you can hear the Holy Spirit speaking to you through them, and it awakens something in you. And it speaks the truth to you at a deep level of your soul. Barnabas type of people, they leverage their own influence and places of privilege for the advancement of others, for the sake of the kingdom, and always for the glory of God. Is there a Barnabas person who's coming to your mind right now as we're talking about that? A person that God has used in your life to speak truth into your life, to speak encouragement into your life, to wake things up in you, seeing things in you that you haven't seen in yourself. I've been thinking about those people all week long, all week long, and I'm really grateful for them in my life. God uses these kinds of people to build up the church and to encourage the giftedness, the diverse gifts within the church. God uses these kind of people in their workplace with this countercultural kind of stance that allows other people to move ahead, that celebrates as other people go forward, that pave a way, not just for themselves, but hold the door open for those who are coming behind them. It is a strange thing to see in our world. It's a peculiar kind of thing. God uses these kinds of people in our homes. God uses these kinds of people in our community. God uses these kinds of people in our country. I'm thinking about a person, I'm not going to call out by name right now, but a person uh, in our community who has a voice of influence and a place of influence in our community. And she lent her voice to people who do not have a voice just this past week, speaking up for people, children who are being mistreated on the border. And used that place of power to shed light on those without power. Not just to speak on behalf of other people, but in a sense to share the mic with them. And to give a voice to people who do not have a voice of their own in our own eyes. Absolutely, they have a voice. And we know there's one that hears that, every single cry of it. God uses these people throughout the kingdom. These are the catalysts of the kingdom. We don't always see them. We can easily overlook them because they're always pointing the attention to other people. So today we're going to walk through this story of Barnabas. And uh, it culminates there in chapter 13 as Barnabas and Paul are sent out as missionaries, as the Holy Spirit speaks to that gathering of believers and says, set apart for me Barnabas and Paul and send them out as missionaries. But before we get there, we're going to walk through uh, as Acts lays out this story of Barnabas. And we're going to talk today about how to be a Barnabas. Okay, Again, not because we're trying to follow in anybody else's footsteps except Jesus. That's who we're following But there are those among us, and we want to honor those among us today, who are these Barnabas people, these Barnabas figures in our own community. And we want to be challenged by the life of Barnabas and how we can walk in that gifting 
as well. So number one, a Barnabas opens doors of generosity. All right, a Barnabas opens doors of generosity. We first meet this person, Barnabas, in Acts chapter 4, uh, verse 30, starting with verse 32. Here's what it says. Uh, it says this about the early church there. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as they had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. This is where we first meet him. This is the first action that we've got recruited uh, or recorded uh, from this person, Barnabas. This is how he enters into the story. He's living this life of generosity. Now, it doesn't say that he sold Absolutely everything that he owned, but it says that he sold a field that he owned and he used that extra that he had so that others might have enough. He used that extra that he had so that others might have enough. Now, there's not a sense that um, that what what is going on here, a lot of people will point to this and say, well, the early church was this is like communism in action or, or this is socialism in action. And we always come back to that and we always refute that and say, no, this is not communism. No, this is not socialism. Communism and socialism are human forms of government, human forms of economy that are as corrupt as the political leaders who pull the levers in those systems. Any human form of government will always be failed and will always be flawed. To a certain extent, no matter how good it looks on paper. That's the truth. That's the reality of it. So this is not communism and this is not socialism. And we know for certain that this is not good old American uh, capitalism either. Amen? Amen. It's not. It's not. It's not a making sure that everyone has an equal amount and it's not a government forced situation. This is the Holy Spirit that is moving the levers of this new economy that is breaking out in this community. And as people see it happen happening, they are in awe of it. This is very challenging to us as a church. One of the things that I find most beautiful about our community is the social economic diversity that we find here. But we also have to realize that that's a challenge for us every single day. Every single day. Holy Spirit, keep opening our eyes of how we can open doors of generosity as a Barnabas church. Help us to live into that mark that we claim as a church, as a part of our culture of who we are, of radical generosity, of courageous generosity, and radical hospitality. Thank you for the way that you have shaped that in us, but we admit that we are not there, and we have so much further to go in you. Challenge us. Take us there. Help us in that.
We see Barnabas opening doors for other people, holding the door open for other people through his generosity. And we're challenged to do the same. We want to be a Barnabas church. That's who we want to be. Number two, Barnabas opens doors of redemption. We find this in uh, chapter nine. All right, so this comes uh, after Paul's conversion moment. After Paul is radically changed by the grace of Jesus. But understandably, because of Paul's history, because of that pattern in his life of, you know, putting Christians to death and whatnot, uh, the other apostles and disciples were uh, slightly hesitant about having Paul join the party, okay? And so when Paul tries to join them, it tells us in this passage that, that he is rejected, that he is not able to. To join them. So here's what it lays out for us. Uh, Acts chapter 9 verses 26 through 28. Here's what it has to say. Let me get to the right one. There we are. It says this. When Paul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. Jerusalem still being that hub and kind of that epicenter of the Christian leadership at this point. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him. Not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him. But Barnabas, I love that. Story turns right there in that moment. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul was on his journey, how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly, in the name of the Lord. Turning point moment for the history of the church. At this point, the doors of the church are closed to Paul, who becomes one of the chief missionaries of the church, who becomes one of the central figures kicking open doors for people into the kingdom from that point forward. But at first, the doors of the church were closed to Paul. Saul was on the inside. I mean, Barnabas was on the inside of that door. And he opened it for Paul. And he held it open for him to come in. A Barnabas opens doors of redemption. Barnabas had seen with his own eyes. And Barnabas believed in the far-reaching power of the grace of Jesus. Absolutely, he believed in that. And he had seen what had happened in the life of Paul. And he believed that the grace of Jesus was strong enough to transform anyone, even this murderer who was bent on putting the church to death. And so he opened the door for Paul. This is so powerful. Without Paul, we are not going to have half of the New Testament. Without Barnabas in this moment, we might not get Paul. We might not get Paul, but Barnabas leverages his own influence, his own place of privilege. He's standing on the inside of the door, and he is not content in that alone. He's not content in his own place, but he uses that privilege and that influence to hold the door open for others and welcomes them in. Even when people thought that was not possible. And he showed and he, and he proved through his own life the far-reaching power of the grace of Jesus. And Paul is brought in 
And then as they see it with their own eyes, given Barnabas's testimony as well, and him recommending that and standing there beside him as a testimony. And then they see Paul moving in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the story changes and the story turns from that point. A Barnabas opens doors of redemption. We believe that the grace of God can reach absolutely anyone. You've heard us say this over and over, but we never use the language here of of people who are far from God. We don't ever use that language because we don't believe that there's any such thing as a person who's far from God. We believe that the grace of God is pursuing everyone. The grace of God is pursuing everyone. Everyone, And we want to be a part of their redemption. And so we will hold the door open. Barnabas opens the doors of redemption. Number three, Barnabas opens doors of reconciliation. Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. So at this point, um, I just got a text on my timer there. Sorry. All right. Y'all don't text me during church, man. All right. I'm easily, I'm easily distracted already, okay? <laughs> now everyone's going to text me in church. Okay, awesome. Bring it on. <laughs> All right, bring it on. All right, so number three, Barnabas opens doors of reconciliation. So in Acts chapter 11, as we're seeing the church begin to spread, you remember as we talked already about Paul overseeing the death of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. And in that moment, uh, as, as this fist of wrath comes at Wes Otwell, now is texting me. Thanks, Wes. All right. Now it's wide open. All right, I'll bring it, okay? So um, in that moment at the tragic death there of Stephen, as he becomes that first Christian martyr, Paul is overseeing that. It says that, uh, uh, that violent persecution broke out against the church that day. And as that wrath and the fist of persecution fell down on them, instead of actually shutting the church down, what it did was through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the grace of Jesus, it actually served to spread the church. All right. And so it said that the believers were scattered and they were scattered in fear. All right. There was a sense of fear over what was coming to them. And yet it says everywhere they went, they continue to speak the word of God boldly. Isn't that beautiful? So what was meant to shut down the church actually served to spread the church. And the church started to spread throughout that region and then beyond. It spread all the way to this place called Antioch. And Antioch is another one of these melting pot type places where these different cultures are existing uh, together. And as the gospel gets there, and as the gospel begins to transform that city, a beautiful church is born. The first example of this truly trans-ethnic church in this city, where the the Jewish believers and the non-Jewish believers referred to as Gentiles begin to live together in community. The walls that had separated them before fell And they begin to live and share life together in community, reconciled to each other as they are reconciled to God through the work of Jesus Christ. Here's what it says uh, in chapter 11. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. 
Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to the Gentiles, to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, Paul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Paul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Amen. Amen. What a beautiful picture of the church and the power of of the grace of Jesus. Barnabas opens doors of reconciliation. When the disciples heard about this strange thing that was happening, of these people who are spreading the message and the hope of the gospel, not only to the Jewish believers like themselves, but also to the non-Jewish people around them, and they started to become believers, and this church started to live together in this harmony and in this unity, they sent Barnabas to go check it out. They sent Barnabas to go and to encourage it along. They sent Barnabas to go and see, and they trusted his mind, and they trusted his heart to be able to recognize the grace of God at work, and then to be able to encourage it and to facilitate it to grow in that. They trusted Barnabas. They had already seen it. They had already seen his willingness to let the walls fall down. They had already seen his willingness to hold the door open for others to be able to enter into the kingdom. And so they sent him to go and to cultivate this thing in its earliest days. And it says when he went and he saw the grace of God evidently at work, he was glad. He was glad. How many times have you been around very fervent Christian believers And you see God doing a new thing among people and their response is not to be glad. We've probably all experienced that at some point. We want to be the kind of people who see the work of God and we respond with gladness and joy over what the Holy Spirit is doing. And so he goes and he does that. And they become the first truly trans-ethnic church. And they set the pattern for what the kingdom of God is going to look like, for what the kingdom of God is designed to look like, for what the kingdom of God is destined to look like because it's in the heart of God and it's the vision of God and he will bring it into reality. We want to continue to be a part of that. Yeah, yeah, that's a great question, Donna. Thank you. So, great question. Uh, And I think so many people in this room would say they've had a similar experience, no doubt. Uh, One of the things I would encourage you in is this, okay? Uh, Just like the joy that you have that people see on the outside and they dislike, the reality of that joy is that it's not just something that's on the outside. It's not just what they're seeing. It's got a much deeper root. And the same is true with the anger that they are putting to you. 
it's not just the anger that's on the outside. It actually has a much deeper root in them. Exactly. To look beyond just the outer uh, action and see the root behind it and have compassion for that root. Yeah. Thank you, Donna. Excellent question. Uh, So he opens doors of reconciliation. It becomes the first truly trans-ethnic church. It also becomes a trans-local church in this sense, all right? Um, As the church begins to spread, um, and and, and there's a prophecy that these believers in Antioch are given, that a famine is coming that's going to strike Jerusalem. And the church in Jerusalem is under persecution, and the church in Jerusalem falls under all kinds of hardship. And the church in Antioch, this trans-ethnic church, also becomes trans-local because they recognize that what is happening to their friends, their family in Jerusalem, it matters to them. And so they take up a collection and they send it to help with what is happening in Jerusalem. It's beautiful and it sets a beautiful example for what God is going to do throughout the world. We are connected to every authentic expression of the church anywhere we find it around the world, anywhere we find it throughout history. We are one family together. We are a local church and we're deeply concerned with this local community, but our hearts are not turned inward only unto ourselves, but through the holy love of God, our hearts are turned outward towards our community and beyond our community to care for how God is moving around the world. And we want to continue to be a part of that. This is one of the reasons why we are consistently uh, putting a portion of our budget towards planting other churches in other communities. It's why oftentimes the people who come in here to preach for us are people who are planting churches in other communities because we want to hear from their wisdom and we also want our hearts to be connected to theirs. And we want to continue in that support and build that family connection with each other. I'm going to stop there. Okay. Uh, Number four. Uh, Barnabas opens doors of mission, all right? Barnabas opens doors of mission, and here's this crucial turning point moment for the history of the church, Acts chapter 13, this very first missionary journey that gets commissioned as these first missionaries of the church. They lay hands on them, they pray over them, and they send them out. In In the church at Antioch, so once again, here we are at Antioch, all right? Such a crucial moment here. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, uh, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, while they were worshiping together in community, and while they were fasting, engaged in this deeply personal connection with the Lord, opening themselves up for the Lord, saying that my deepest desire is to hear from the Lord and to be in alignment with him. The Holy Spirit said, the Holy Spirit spoke to these believers, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. They placed their hands on them and they sent them off. Barnabas opens doors of mission. 
Barnabas opens doors of mission. He was obedient in that. He heard the Holy Spirit speak and he was open to where the Lord was going to send him. Another thing that you do see us doing frequently is we bring people up here. We pray over people in the lobby and we gather around them as a church family and we lay hands on them. It's a moment of blessing. It's a way of saying we are behind you. We are connected to you physically in this moment by laying hands on you, but we are connected to you deeply spiritually in where you are going next. And even as you go away, we bless you in your going and we walk with you in prayer. We are still connected. We are still family and we send you out with open hands because the kingdom does not belong to us. And so we send people out with open hands. We have a friend that will be doing that over uh, next week. As a matter of fact, our friend Evan, who is moving to Boston, will we'll be praying over him and commissioning him as he goes out. And it's this sense of not that, pe- not that we are losing people, but that we are sending people and empowering them in the Holy Spirit everywhere they go to be mission, to be uh, the movement and the mission of Jesus in flesh and blood. Last one is this. Barnabas opens doors of restoration. Barnabas opens doors of restoration. After this incredible moment when they are prayed over, when they are sent out, Barnabas and Paul have, um, they, they go on these missionary journeys. It's the first missionary journey of Paul, that first missionary journey of the church. And at the beginning of this, Barnabas is seen as the leader. And often you'll see his name listed first. And then there's a moment when that switches. And Paul begins to be seen as the leader. Paul, who is the, the one who stands up and, and speaks to the people often. But Barnabas is that, is that rock right there beside him. And so the Holy Spirit is using both of them. And you see those names flipping back and forth. And it's a beautiful description of how that, that team worked and how that relationship worked together. And so as they travel, as they speak uh, the gospel to people, people are transformed. Entire communities are transformed. They're met with opposition. Uh, Their lives are threatened, but they continue to speak boldly in the power of the Holy Spirit. And people are continued to be transformed uh, through that power. There's one moment um, where, where they are moving in such power of the Holy Spirit that the local people who don't quite understand what is happening, they, they know that they are from God but they misinterpret who these people are. And so they begin to want to worship Barnabas as Zeus and Paul as Hermes, the spokesperson for Zeus. And they, of course, like shut that down immediately and plead with them to stop and to get there once again to point in the right direction. But there's a sense of power in the way that God is moving with them. And there's a sense of connection between them. And it's a beautiful friendship and relationship. And yet, tragically, there comes a moment of division in their relationship. In Acts chapter 15, it says this in verses 36 through 41. Uh, A part of a person who had joined them was this young person named John Mark, who was actually probably a cousin to Barnabas, who had joined them, who had been a missionary with them. And at one point on that first missionary journey, John Mark turns back. John Mark quits in the middle of the mission and goes back home. He says, I don't want to do this anymore. And he goes back home. Okay, so there comes this division over that. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the brothers and sisters in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. 
Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. So here's what happens here. This moment of division and it's heartbreaking for this relationship that God had used in such a powerful way. This moment where Barnabas had opened so many doors for Paul. Not only to the apostles to bring him into that inner circle of leadership. Not only to open that door into the church to become a part of that church community. But Barnabas is also the one that once the mission gets started at Antioch, he looks around and he says, the gifts of Paul would thrive and flourish in that place. It doesn't have to be all about me. I'm going to go get Paul and bring him to help me in this. Barnabas, this person who, as they went on this missionary journey together, you see him pushing Paul to the forefront to be the spokesperson, recognizing those gifts in Paul, not needing that limelight on himself. He pushes Paul forward. We see Barnabas doing this time and time and time again. And yet there comes this moment of division and this moment of break. And it's heartbreaking. And yes, Paul's got a leadership point, no doubt. All right? No doubt. Paul says it's not wise. He quit on us once. He might quit on us again. But Barnabas once again says, don't you remember where you were? Don't you remember where you were? And the heart of Barnabas says, I want to be about restoration for this person who failed. Yes, that was their past. Yes, that was their past. But I'm sensing something more in this person. And I want to give them another opportunity. I want to open another door of opportunity. And Paul, who was in the church because of the door of opportunity opened by Barnabas, says, no, he's not coming with us. I'm taking someone else, and we're going in the opposite direction. It's this heartbreaking moment. It says a sharp division between them. And yet, look at the grace of God. Look at the grace of God. Here's what happens after that. This moment of sharp division through the brilliant grace of God becomes an opportunity, not of division, but of multiplication. And now we have two missionary teams who are heading in opposite directions, who are carrying the hope of the gospel. People who have been transformed by it, who are carrying it with them. And I'm not trying to be hard on Paul here, okay? Paul's got a good point. Paul's like, I'm not sure we should risk that again. Barnabas is willing to risk it again. And there are those people among us. Paul's not sure he wants to risk it again. But let me say this for Paul. Later on in his life, As Paul is writing one of his letters, he requests, please send Mark to me because he's an encouragement to me. And there's this healing that happens in Paul's heart over that division. No doubt over the years he thought about what he saw in Barnabas. The Holy Spirit healed that wound in him. And to Paul's great deep credit and to the credit of the Holy Spirit, Paul says, Please send him to me. He's an encouragement to me. Barnabas does for John Mark what he had already done 
for Paul. And because of him holding the door open for Paul, we get the greatest missionary in the history of Christianity. We get the greatest theologian in the history of Christianity. We get half of the letters of the New Testament. But because he held the door open for John Mark, maybe we get something else as well. Scholars debate this and they're divided over this. But a lot of scholars think that this John, also called Mark, is the Mark who authored the gospel of Mark. He's not only a cousin, probably to Barnabas, but they think he's maybe a cousin to Peter as well and has a close relationship with the apostle Peter. And many think that the gospel of Mark is authored by this Mark and is the story of Jesus told from the perspective of one of his inner circle disciples, the apostle Peter. Without Barnabas holding open the door for others, we might not have half of the New Testament, the letters of Paul. But maybe we don't have the gospel of Mark either. We want to be a Barnabas church. We want to be the kind of people who are so full of the Holy Spirit that it becomes this natural move of us, which is actually supernatural because it's not of our own strength, but it's through the Holy Spirit moving through us. The kind of people who open doors of generosity. We want to be the kind of people who open doors of redemption and believe that there's no such thing as a person who's too far from God. We want to be the kind of people who open doors of reconciliation, who are not content to live by the lines that other people have drawn, but will continually cross every line and climb every wall, driven by the love of Jesus. We want to be the kind of people who open doors of mission and continually send people out. You're going to keep hearing that over and over and over again. We're going to send people out to other local churches in our own community. We're going to send people out to other local churches in neighboring communities that are getting off of the ground. Maybe some of you that have a burden for other communities around us. And you want to be a part of starting a new work of God in those places. And your heart beats for that. We're going to lay hands of encouragement and blessing on you and send you out. In mission, because we want to be a Barnabas church and we want to open doors of restoration. And we want to say that failure doesn't have the last word on your life. That grace runs deep and kicks open the doors that other people are willing to slam shut. Here's the challenge as we close right now. Two questions for you. Number one, who is your Barnabas? Who is your Barnabas? Identify one person who is an encourager to you, who has that encouraging spirit. I'm not just talking about a part of their personality. It's a nice person. I'm talking about Holy Spirit accent of empowerment in your life. A Barnabas, an encourager for you, and say thank you. Say thank you to that person. You may have to think long and hard, and you're going to have to ask the Holy Spirit to point that out because oftentimes those are the people, once again, that we overlook. And we don't even put our attention on because they're pointing our attention someplace else. And number two, how could you be a Barnabas? Identify one person in your life that you can encourage and then actually do it. Actually do it. As we move to the table this morning, everything comes back to this over and over again. And we remember the price that Jesus Christ paid for us. To open the door for us. That he is the one who kicked open the door that was slammed shut by our sin. 
and he brings us into full and abundant reconciliation with God, a deep relationship with him. This relationship that causes all things to flourish in us, that speaks life into us, that calls gifts out of us. It all comes through the work of Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus was with his disciples and his last night with them, he took the bread that was on the table and he broke it. And he said, this bread represents my body that is broken for you. And then he took the cup that was on the table. And he said, this cup represents the blood of the new covenant. My blood poured out for the salvation of the world. Every time you taste it, remember what I have done. We're going to share in this meal together. And there'll be people down front to pray for you. If you need prayer this, this morning, maybe you need a prayer of encouragement prayed into your life this morning. We invite you to come and to be a part of that as well. As we share in communion today, there will be two stations, one on this side, one on this side. If you need a gluten-free option, that will be over here. We invite you to come forward to tear off a piece of the bread and to dip it into the cup and to taste and see that the Lord is good. Come to the one who has opened the door for you. Amen.